This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Let's all stand together. As our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads here this morning. Today is Father's Day, that special day of the year where men get to lay around and do almost nothing, which is pretty much like every other day of the year. Praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, glad that you are with us as uh, today we celebrate fathers. It was interesting when it came for Jesus to explain God to us up to this point they had always referred to God as the omnipotent God in the heaven and creator of the universe and all that. But when Jesus came to really explain God to us, he started with our Father. And it's a whole different connection. It just started showing it. So today, we just hope that you will enjoy your dad. Today's a great day to celebrate men. Men do great and wonderful things. I know that's not politically correct today. If there's one thing, you know, you can praise women, but if you praise men, somehow you're evil. That is absolute nonsense. Uh, men do great, wonderful things. We build big things. We do big things. We uh, fight hard. We work hard. Say, well, women can do all those things too. I'm sure they can. Just like men can do virtually anything a woman can do. Hey, some of the greatest cooks in the world are men. Some of the greatest hair designers in the world are men. Some of the greatest clothing designers in the world are, in fact, men. Well, it doesn't change anything. Of course, women still overwhelmingly do those things, and men choose other things. Can women fight in the army? Of course. Can women be on the police department force? Of course. Can women be firefighters? Yes, and of course. But you take the men out of that thing, we are dead in the water. Men do great things. And today we want to celebrate men for what they do. It's a man who gets to a lake and doesn't want to drive around the lake. He says, we can build a bridge across this rascal. Right? All the women say, don't be so lazy, just drive around the lake. You know, but men like to build things. You know, we like to build skyscrapers, big, gigantic things. Men do great things, and we're grateful for men and celebrate them. 
Today, I want to uh, thank you all for helping so much with our recovery offering that we've been talking about. Uh, we're doing great. If you have yet to do something special for that, let me encourage you to do that. And but to encourage you to continue to give at a regular level. Don't just say, oh, great, let's back off now. Uh, that's how we repeated the problem last time. Stay faithful. Remember, you determine the degree to which God is going to bless you. You're the one who does it based on how much you're willing to give. All right, this morning we are wrapping up the final uh, lesson on our little series entitled Jump. We started out playing a video clip by, by Steve Harvey, the guy who uh, does the host for uh, Family Feud and other things. Uh, it was a powerful clip. If you missed it, fear not. We're going to play it again as we wrap this up right now. Let's take a look at this clip that Mr. Harvey gave us about the idea of jumping. Every successful person in this world has jumped. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. You eventually, you are going to have to jump. You cannot just exist in this life. You have got to try to live. If you are waking up thinking that there's got to be more to your life than it is, man, believe that it is. But to get to that life, you're going to have to jump. I'll tell you why I call it jumping. See, God, when he created all of us, he gave every last one of us a gift at birth. He never created a soul without endowing them with a gift. You just got to quit looking at gifts as running, jumping, singing, and dance. It's more than that. It's if you know how to network, if you can connect dots, if you draw, if you teach. Some of y'all fry chicken better than anybody else. Bake pie. Some of you cut hair, color hair. Some people do grass. I got a partner, man. We never wanted to go out with us because we stayed out too late. Come on, man, go out with Now I got to get up early, mom. Cutting Miss Johnson grass. We kept laughing at this dude. Cutting grass. How much they pay you? He got a landscaping company in Cleveland worth $4 million. Because all he do is cut grass. But he was gifted at it. I got a partner on a detail shop, make $800,000 a year detailing cars. He got six mobile trucks running around. $800,000 a year. All he do is detail cars. That's his gift. That's what he loved to do. You've got to identify that gift. Now listen to me. When you see people in life, when you're standing on the cliff of life and you see people soaring by, you hear about them doing wonderful things. Maybe you look up the street and your neighbor just gets a car every year and every two years. You know, how is he doing that? Have you ever thought Maybe this person right here has identified their gift and is living in their gift. Because your Bible says, this your Bible says your gift will make room for you. Your gift, not your education. You go get an education, that's nice. But if you don't use your gift, that education only going to take you so far. I know a lot of people got degrees, man. They ain't even using it. It's your gift. But the only way for you to soar is you got to jump. You got to take that gift that's packed away on your back. You got to jump off that cliff and pull that cord. That gift opens up and provides the soar. If you don't ever use it, you're going to just go to work. And if you're getting up going to work on a job every day that you hate going to, that ain't living, man. You just existed. At one point in time, you ought to see what living's like. But the only way to see what living's like, you got to jump. 
Here the problem. Let me just be real with you. When you first jump, let me tell you something. Your parachute will not open right away. You're gonna hit them rocks. You're gonna get some skin tore off on them cliffs. You're gonna get all your clothes tore off. You're gonna get some cuts on you. You're gonna be bleeding pretty bad. But eventually, eventually, the parachute has to open. That is a promise of God. That ain't a theory, that's a promise. His promises is true, because listen to me, you cannot name one single thing God has not gotten you through. Name it. And if he ain't got you through it, he currently pulling you through it right now. And the living proof of it is you sitting in here. If he hadn't got you through it, you wouldn't even be here. So if he ain't never not got you through it, why would he not let your parachute open? He, it has to open, man. You can play it safe and deal without the cuts and the tears. And you can stand on that cliff of life forever safe. But if you don't jump, I got another promise I can make you. Your parachute will never open. You'll never know. You'll never know what God really has for you. See, your God has a wonderful life for you. Once again, I'm going to refer to your Bible. Now, you go down there, you memorize these scriptures, you don't apply them to yourself. Your Bible says that he comes to give you life and give you life more abundantly. If I were you, I would jump. Because that's the only way to get to that abundant life. You got to jump, man. You got to take a chance. Now, when I get through talking, there are those of you who discuss this in the car. Well, I got bills. And I got, I got bills. I, whether you stay on the cliff or you jump, you're going to have bills. Well, if I quit my job, I'm going to ruin my credit. If you got a job, you live in check to check. Even if you got A1 credit, you can't buy nothing else no damn way. At one point in time, man, do yourself a favor. Go see what God really do. God hold you up, man. He ain't going to let you fall. He ain't bring you this far and let you fall. Do yourself a favor, man. Before you leave this world, before you die, jump. Just jump one time. Just jump. Thank you very much. Yes. Learning to jump. Take risks. It's powerful stuff. And this is true in your faith. It's the truth in your life in general. Man, just don't always play it safe. I know there's a lot of y'all just play safe all the time. But you never experience much of life. And the sad thing, we talked about the last couple of weeks. We talked about being generous, dumping out your bucket. Oh, I want to protect my bucket. The crazy thing is at some point, your bucket's going to get tipped over anyway. At some point, something's going to happen to you. Your investments are going to trash up. Your wife's going to leave you. The doctor's going to tell you you got cancer. You got six months to live. Something's going to happen. Your bucket's going to get, I guarantee you, you try and play it safe, you can't. That's the absurdity of it. And the sad thing is then, because you've never learned to trust God, when it gets tipped over, you're going to be a wreck, a big mess. What you need to do is learn to trust God now. Safer to jump now when all you're going to do is get scratched up. When God blessed your life, you got to jump. And I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons a lot of people on this Father's Day have a difficult time jumping in life because they never had a father that taught them the value of taking risks. Now, you want to be smart about risk. And I've said this many times. The, the, there's a fine line between faith and stupid. 
And, and, and it just, it is, it just is. And a lot of people, they don't know that. And if you don't know, come get advice. Man, I'll be honest with you. I'll say, man, that's faith. Or man, you're dumb as a brick. You know, don't do that. That's just stupid. And a lot of people can't see it. You're going to learn eventually, but get advice from people. But you got to learn to jump. A father teaches his kid. One of the great things, there's, you know, again, men and women do different. These are generalities, but they're generally true. Men and women view life differently. And one of the things about fathers is they teach their kids to take risks. All you got to do is watch mamas on a playground pushing their kids on a swing. And then watch the dads. With mama yelling, stop that, stop that. It's all right. He's not going to die. What if he falls? Who he falls? So what? You know what? He's going to learn. He's going to fall. He's going to cry. He's going to be okay. You're not going to die. Don't be afraid to take risks. It's one of the wonderful things that men bring into lives. And, I, and, and girls, look, I, I appreciate you. You want to keep us from destroying ourselves. And, and they do. That's why married men live longer than single men. All the studies have shown. In fact, they say the most dangerous thing in America is for a man to stay single. They say it's the equivalent of smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. I guess the worst thing is a single guy who smokes two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. But don't try and suck all the risk out of your husband. He's going to stretch you. He's going to, well, you know, well, I don't know if we can do it. Well, just be smart about it. Help him be smart about it. But this risk factor is a good thing. It's how you grow. It's how you do great things. And this is true in life, but it's also true in your faith, which, of course, is my department. That's what I'll be talking about today. I want to read to you from the Old Testament, Kings, Second Kings the fifth chapter, we read about a guy named Naaman. It says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man, big yo mama man, in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Everybody respected this guy because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. He was a respected man. He was a man's man. He was the kind of man who said, let's go take these guys. And they, people would get it behind and say, yeah, we can do it. Why? Because he was a smart man. He was a good man. He was a strong man. He was a great leader did things, took risks and triumphed over and over and over again. People trusted him. Men trusted him because he was a man's man. He was a valiant warrior. But this man's man got his bucket kicked over. Out of his control, he had a problem. The Bible says his problem was that he had leprosy. That was a devastating disease. Nothing he could do about it. They didn't have any cl cl clinics for that kind of thing. There was no cure. There's he knew what, what he was facing, and it was beyond his control. And I guarantee, as I said before, you're going to face stuff that's going to be outside your control. You want to learn to trust God now in small areas of your life. Don't just sit around and wait for something big to happen to you. Trust God in little areas. Build your faith, grow in your faith, so that you're ready for it when the big stuff comes. We often talk about David and Goliath. Goliath, you know, David took on this big Goliath. But the reason he did is because... He'd taken on smaller things. He, he killed a lion. He killed a bear. He had confidence. It wasn't, he'd never done anything before. All the other guys stood there because they hadn't done anything before. That's the difference. Do stuff. Do little things. Grow in your faith. But here his bucket got tipped over. He didn't know what to do. Now, if you continue to read the story, he goes to the king, tells the king he's got this disease. The king's bummed out. But they had heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal people. So he sends... Naaman to the king of Israel, goes to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel points him toward 
the prophet Elijah. Elijah was this powerful prophet. So here comes Naaman, this man's man. He was the great celebrity of the day in his land. And the Bible says Naaman went to the, with his horses and chariots. Not just one, <laughs> chariots. He's surrounded, man. It's a big processional. This is Naaman, the man. He's a man's man. He comes all up, finally comes up in front of Elijah's house, expecting Elijah to come out. Elijah doesn't even bother. He sends his messenger, <laughs> sends a servant, which is pretty insulting to Naaman. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, okay, uh, look, this, he says you're supposed to go uh, wash yourself uh, seven times in the Jordan, the Jordan River, and then your flesh will be returned and you'll be cleansed, and then he turns and goes back in the house. Well, Naaman is furious. He goes away angry. He said, man, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. But he doesn't. He sends a stupid messenger out. Doesn't even come and see me. He doesn't realize who I am. I'm a man. I'm a man's man. You can't ignore me. Sends a messenger out. Tell me to go dip in the Jordan River. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Israel in the Jordan River. It is a greatly unimpressive river. <laughs> I was there last year. I was stunned by the unimpressiveness of it all. <laughs> Seriously, it's a nothing. The Fox River is more impressive <laughs> than the Jordan River. Seriously. It's just like, what, what, what is this? This is the Jordan River in Israel. It's where Jesus was baptized. He tells him, go down to the Jordan. He says, Jordan River? He says, are not Abaddon, far from the names of these other rivers, of Damascus, big, your mama rivers. They're better than all the waters of Israel. Could I go wash in them and be cleansed? So he turns off in a rage. Not only does he come out and tell me to stick myself seven times in the water, he tells me to do it in that creepy little pond. <laughs> I'm a man, I should be able to do it in the big river. Naaman goes away angry. Then verse 13 one of Naaman's servants says, listen, uh, my father, it, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Well, yeah, that's the point. Tell me to do something great. Go kill a bear. Rassle a rascal. <laughs> I don't know what. Just climb a hill, do something. Something to my stature. Well, yeah, I'd have done something great. Well, he says, well, then how much more when he tells you just wash and be cleansed? So it got through to Naaman, and again, his bucket had tipped over. I'll tell you something about when your bucket gets, gets tipped over, you tend to listen a little bit more, all right? Because it's out of your control. He still had the leprosy. What did he have to lose? So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, because that's what they told him. You got to go down there seven times. And so he starts dipping himself. First of all, he's in this Jordan River. One. Two, this is ridiculous. Three, I don't know if he can see me. Four, no, no selfies over there. Don't take no, don't post none of this. Five, six, this is insane. I'm a man. What am I doing? Seven, and he gets out of the water, and boom. As the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. 
You know, sometimes God will ask you to do things you don't want to do. In fact, the truth is, almost everything God asks you to do, you don't want to do. <laughs> because I'm a man. <laughs> I just want to do what I want to do. Pray. A lot of guys don't want to pray. Read the Bible. A lot of guys don't want to read the Bible. We'd rather watch TV. By the way, guys aren't big readers in general. You know, they say, on average, it's a terrible average, but they say from the time a guy graduates from high school until the day he dies, most men will read one book. <laughs> we'll watch a lot of TV, though. But one book. Now, women will read three books a day. They like to read. They love words. Words are the magic kingdom of women. Words. They love words. Oh, tell me words. Oh. Man, we don't, don't clap. Men don't like words. <laughs> Yeah, praise the Lord, I was preaching. <laughs> Giving money? I know a lot of guys don't like that. It's my money. They never learn to be generous, that's why they never get blessed. Fast, you ever fast? There's a party. <laughs> Truth is, God will oftentimes ask you to do something you don't want to do. Just because you don't want to do it, don't think you're not supposed to do it. You're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I won't pray. I don't want to read my Bible. Man, you need to do it. And by the way, you young people, listen to me. Escuchame. Listen. You need to experience God for yourself. I don't care what your mama did. I don't care what your daddy did. Your grandpa might have been the best preacher on earth. Don't mean jack for you. Well, I, I, I've been in church ever since I was two years old. So what? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in your garage is going to turn you into a Buick. You got experiences for yourself. Every man, every woman, every child has to experience God for themselves. Amen. Amen. It'll mess with you. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that won't make any sense. Sometimes God will ask you to stretch in a way that will make you feel really uncomfortable. But at some point, if you truly want God to touch your life, man, you got to jump. We read in the gospel the story, Jesus is going along. This is in... Uh, John, the ninth chapter, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And if you read the whole story, you say everybody knew this guy. It's common knowledge. It's actually kind of it's a very, very funny story if you take the time to read the whole thing. But uh, he's blind from birth, and his disciples said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, teacher, who sinned? Did this guy sin? Did his parents say, why was he born blind? Something bad happened. Somebody must have done something bad. That's what we think. Of course, things aren't that way. He said, this, this, Jesus said, this man didn't, or his parents didn't sin. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes the reason your life stinks is because God wants to do something great in your life. Don't just get mad at God. Everybody's mad at God. As I said last Sunday, I know I preach, it's okay to get mad at God. I think these people are idiots. He's God. You're nothing. This is you. You're going to be mad at it's like an ant coming along getting mad at me because I'm in his path. Maybe we getting mad at God. Sometimes things happen bad just because God wants to do something great in your life. Anyway, so he says, so this happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. So then, uh, after saying this, Jesus spits on the ground. <laughs> A little disgusting. <laughs> I know someone who really hates spit. I won't mention her name, but her initials are Deanna Gunger. But anyway, he spit, <laughs> spit on the ground. <laughs> she hates spit, man. I'll tell you, it's bad. <laughs> what am I talking about? So he spits on the ground and he makes mud with the saliva. It's spit mud. Makes a spit pie. 
and put it on the man's eyes. Well, well, how's this happen? He's making it worse. If he couldn't see, now he can't for sure. He stuck mud in his eyes, made a spit pie. So why did he do that? You know, it's interesting. You read through the Bible, Jesus seems to always do miracles different. Why? Because God doesn't like to be put in a box. And by the way, don't think in terms of formulas when he comes following. I know a lot of people. So it's a big traditional Catholic area here. I was raised Catholic. But one of these things, I remember when I was trying to sell my house, people came to me. The first thing you got to do is you got to take a statue of Satan, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Bur- <laughs> burying upside down. I think it's like, you know, hostage, Saint hostage. Sell my house, right? Let you out. You know what I'm saying? If you follow this formula, I was going to say, that's ridiculous. Formula. Somebody comes to you and gives you a formula about how to experience a miracle, get away from them. They don't know Jack. They don't know Joseph either, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> so Jesus makes a mud pie, sticks it on his eyes, and he says, well, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, if he hadn't stuck mud in my eye, I wouldn't have to go wash it off. <laughs> but that's what he does. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. His eyes popped open. I mean, and again, if you read the whole story, it's hilarious how people freak. Sometimes it seems like things will actually get worse before they get better. Don't get mad. God isn't done with you yet. I love this account. This is in the Old Testament again, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. The children of Israel traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea, go around and eat them. But the people grew impatient on the way. <laughs> Are we there yet? What's taking so long? And they're whining and they are bellyaching. They spoke against God and against Moses. So why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now these are the very people who for 400 years were slaves in Egypt and cried to the Lord, Oh God, set us free! Set your people free. God, get us out of here. God gets them out of there. A couple of weeks later, oh, God, send us back. <laughs> oh, what, what I was expecting. Because right, things don't always look the way you think it's going to look. Don't get mad at your circumstances all the time. It's easy to play the victim. Oh, poor me, poor me. I didn't plan. Oh, it's not my fault. So what? Learn to do life. Get a little faith. Grow up. Be a man. Be a woman. Be strong. Take some risks. They're whining. There's no bread out here. There's no McDonald's. You know, air conditioners, miserable out here. No water. We detest this miserable food. God is literally raining food from heaven for them to eat. Got tired of it. You know, people, oh, tired of it. I want it. Well, the Lord is just so irritated with these people. So he sends venomous snakes among them because they are really acting badly. And it says, and the snakes bit the people and many Israelites died. I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. I'm not a big snake fan. We were just in Texas. (laughs) Seadrift, Texas. Now, if you ever get the chance to go to Seadrift, Texas, don't do it. (laughs) Because this is a horrible place. I mean, you know, God loves hillbillies. But this is a town made of hillbillies, man. Hillbillies and rednecks built this town. (laughs) And there's nothing in it. Nothing. 
And it's on the coast. You'd think, that's why I went. We'll get a house on the coast, right? Ha <laughs> ha! Wrong! Horrible, horrible place. We laughed for three days as we were miserably driving in and out of this place. It was so bad, it was hilarious. Anyway, I come out of the house one morning and birds are coming down, bouncing off the ground. And I'm going, ah! It's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, the birds. Ah! Bouncing birds. When was the last time you saw a bird bounce? My mind is, what is with bouncing birds? All I said was boing on the ground, boing, boing, and they're flapping and boing. I'm like, what is happening? And then I looked, and they were attacking a snake. Now, this is not a Green Bay snake. Because Green Bay snakes are very polite people. You know, they're a little slimy and stuff, but they don't do nothing. Because they're little and they don't do nothing. This is a big old yo mama Texas snake. This sucker had to be six, seven, eight feet long. It was a big yo mama, and the birds are attacking it. I'm saying, yeah, go birds! <laughs> the bird's trying to get away, and the snake's trying to get away, and he's going, the bird, and he slithers into a bunch of rocks right in front of the door of the house. Stupid birds chase them the other way. <laughs> so these snakes come, people start dying. Right away, the people knew what would happen. Oh, we insulted God. People came to Moses and said, look, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray, please pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. Now you think that would be the nice thing to do, just take the snake, but God didn't do it. God doesn't take the snakes away. That will be easy. But a lot of times God does things that's not easy. So the Lord says to Moses, okay, this is what I'm going to have you do. I want you to make a snake, a bronze, and he made it out of bronze, and put it up on a pole. I call it snake on a pole. <laughs> snake on a stick. And anyone who's bitten, they can come and look at it, and then they'll live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, snake on a stick. And when anyone's bitten by the snake, and they'd look up at the snake, they would live. Now, you have got to figure, this is the stupidest thing on earth, <laughs> right? First of all, a snake was my problem in the first place. Going to a snake on a stick can't possibly make any sense. And I have been poisoned. I have been poisoned. I'll tell you what, every man and woman, child born into this world has been bitten by the poison of sin. Things just takes you a long time. But it'll eat at you and it'll rot you and make your life miserable. Of course, we all have our own snake bite kits. I got a snake bite kit. I say, well, come on, look at this snake on a stick. You crazy? I got a snake bite kit. You know, I got this will fix it. I got good education. That'll fix it. You know, I got more money. That'll fix it. But it doesn't fix it. I, you know, I got some booze here. Enough booze. That'll fix anything. No, it won't. Drugs, whatever. Everybody's looking for their own little snake bite kids, trying to fix it themselves. You hear this morning, you have never truly surrendered to God. You got your own little snake bite kit and you're trying to fix everything yourself. But here's the problem it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just keeps eating away at you. But the people who would get a clue and do the stupid thing and go and just look at the snake on a stick, boom, they were healed. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, get ready to serve communion this morning here and at our campuses. You know, it looked really stupid, but at some point they had to jump. And here's a real interesting scripture. This is in 
the Gospel of John, this is Jesus talking, and he says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. See, now, if I had not read the story to you three minutes ago, you would not have any idea what he's talking about. But now you know. Now you know the rest of the story. Now you know he's talking about this. As soon as he said it, everybody knew, because he's talking to all these Jewish people. They knew the story. See, oh, yes. Just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, he says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And what happens? Jesus is lifted up on that cross, and he dies on that cross. And what he's saying to us is, you want to get healed? You want God to touch your life? You want him to fix what's wrong with you? You got to look up. No, man, I can fix it myself. No, 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 you can't. Come on, pastor, tell us to do something. Tell me, you know, give money to the United Way or help little old ladies across the street or or do something nice. I, I can work this off. No, you can't. We're like Naaman, you know. Come on, tell me to do something. I can do something. Don't tell me to jump in some stupid pond. The only cure, my friends, is to stop and realize, you know, I can't fix my life on my own. And you look up and you see Jesus on the cross. And that jump of faith does a miracle in our hearts. And you can start to experience the miracle of salvation. The miracle of grace. Again, don't expect your mamas to do it for you. Don't expect your daddies to do it. Don't expect your grandpa or anybody else to do it for you. You got to do it yourself. Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm sure you are. I don't care how good you are. You're still snake bit. Well, I, I can fix it myself. No, you can't. At some point, you got to let go and let God. At some point, you got to jump. You got to jump. Quit trying to hang on to everything yourself. Paul, or Steve Harvey was talking about that for for life in general. But it's very true about faith. At some point, you have got to let go and let God look up and put your faith in Jesus. Because only he can fix what is wrong with us. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head. And I'm going to have you repeat a prayer after me. If you will trust in this prayer and trust in Jesus, look up to him today. You can start to experience this wonderful grace that we've been talking about. Let's say this together. Say, dear Jesus... I believe you are the Son of God, that you love me so much, you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I now look up to you and I ask you to come into my life and to heal me. Help me to let go. Help me to trust. Help me to jump. Amen. 